In confidence, filling holes with anything but consciousness about himself. Greed is taking over for spectacular events. Information for the mind is disturbing to the body. Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at WolfSpiritRadio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The cycle is created long before you start to think that the blink is your decision what you do. No clue for the food fight. And you are live. Thank you, Colleen. This is Nancy Hopkins. This is Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It is July 26, 2016. My co-host is Walt Silva. Um, hi, everybody out there. Uh, it continues to be a very interesting world we are living in. How you doing tonight, Walt, besides burning up? and? <laughs> well, we are celebrating the, uh, according to many articles on the Internet, Supposedly, this is the planetary new year. It's the, the ancient Egyptian new year begins on July 26. So I guess uh, that's pretty. And, uh, from July 26 to August 8th is the opening of something called the Lion's Gate portal, something like that. I'm not an astrologer and that it's super, super important that it, this is the time to invest our consciousness in manifesting really super positive stuff. If you focus on crappy stuff, you're going to make more crappy stuff for your life. So, hey, I'm, I'm for it. So, let's get to work. What does this mean between... They, the, the opening is from now until August? August 8th. Oh, and it just shuts at August 8th? Bang. Well, uh, I don't know if it's a, it's, if it's, it's a time-based portal, but the, the point is that well, you're uh, saying it's an astronomical portal, something that's out there. That, they call that it the Lions. Like I said, I'm not an astrologer. They call it the Lions Gate portal. Okay, is this associated with the New Year? Does the New Year correspond with somehow lining up with that every year, or is it just that the New Year happens to be coinciding with the portal? The article doesn't say. Well, darn. Darn. <laughs> The important thing is that if you're if you're not grounding up the energies that supposedly are coming in, you're gonna feel tired, confused, and more crazier than usual. But if you do choose to ground these energies and embody them, then it's totally going to accelerate you and raise your vibrations and your consciousness. So they say this is the right time to invest your focus on manifesting the reality you want, not what you don't want. Which is what we all do. We're always focusing on what we, what we don't want. Oh, damn, this is so horrible. You see, I'll stop thinking about it. <laughs> well, Corey Good, Corey Good in an article that I, I read earlier regarding the Sphere Alliance, um, said that he was told on June 10th that incoming cosmic energies are dramatically ramping up energy levels for the sun, solar system, and the entire planet. People mm. and groups are being easily triggered, which helps explain the elite exodus to Antarctica described in part one, an upsurge 
and the upsurge of violent extremism around the planet. Um, and just, I was going to kind of end this, the discussion, but I think I'll just go on and start it, because um, he said that according to this raw tear terrier ear, I don't know, raw terrier, somebody that, some extraterrestrial that Good was talking to, <clears throat> the future and the kind of disclosure humanity is going to experience will de be determined by the collective consciousness and how well we react to unfolding events around us. Good summarized the optimal response to an uncertain future in which what he describes as the message. He says, every day focus on becoming more service to others oriented. Focus on being more loving and focus on raising your vibrational and consciousness level and to learn to forgive yourself and others, thus releasing karma. This will change the vibration of the planet, the shared consciousness of humanity, and change humanity one person at a time, even if that one person is yourself. At a time of great change, where global elites are finding refuge in remote locations amidst uncertainty over what the future holds for them, an extraterrestrial's debate over whether to openly make contact, the choice is ours over what the future holds for us. We must remember the power of love and forgiveness in opening up positive possibilities for all of us, including that of a peaceful, full disclosure of the secret space program and, extra, and extraterrestrial alliances that can greatly expand and enrich human destiny. And... I, you know, you started, you, you said it, and he's confirming it, and, you know, everything that we're seeing, including what Taryn has said, is, you know, that we're at a very, very critical point, and it all depends on how we're thinking. Yep. I mean, that's, uh, it, it used to sound like a broken record, but he was 100% right. Uh, every time I attended, Dr. Costa's uh, workshops on the 15th step or any other type of workshop that he was doing at the time. Uh, whenever somebody would say, like, um, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> um, I forget if this was in a documentary or, uh, or, uh, the, an anthropological report, but I remember many years ago when I was still in Argentina, uh, my father showed me the book, uh, how in medieval times, so medieval times, I guess we're looking back, what, five, six hundred years, um, it was very common for human adults to have a third, uh, um, second dentition. You know, children have what they call the baby teeth, and eventually those fall out. And you get your second, what they call the second dentition, you know, the second series of teeth that supposedly you're going to have for the rest of your life unless you don't take care of them. Um, it was documented that in medieval times, you know, medieval Europe, it was common for full-grown human adults to have a second dentition where they they would lose a tooth for whatever reason and an, another one would grow. So uh, I remember in, the, in one of the workshops somebody asked, you know, why Why was it possible before and why isn't it possible today? And Dr. Costa says, 
because of man's thinking. It gets in the way of everything. Our ability to create belief systems and stick to them like glue, where we rather give up an arm or give up our lives before giving up our belief systems, creates the reality that we're living in. So we have this firm belief, because in school they hammered it into our brains. Yeah, you only have two dentitions in life, so that's that's it. That's gospel. You cannot believe that anything else is possible. And yet, even today, you have these cases of people that have terrible tumors and whatnot, and they change their belief system, and all of a sudden, overnight, they go into full remission, and they're completely healed, and doctors are baffled, and they try to find a thousand excuses why it happened. Oh, because maybe the person did this. Oh, maybe the person... No, the person just changed their thinking. They changed their belief system, and therefore, the hologram of their body has to change. That's the way it is. <laughs> We're so programmed and so conditioned, and it's incredible. And... Why, and you would think, not to go into conspiracy mode, but you would think, well, why would it behoove anyone to program us this way, to believe that we can't have a second set of dentitions later on in life? Well, think about it. When you're living in a civilization where money is to be made in all things medical, uh, I want you to spend your money going on to dentist every single month, you know, every six months, you know, to get a cleaning or this or that. So we're constantly paying that that maintenance of our teeth, when in reality we could be regrowing new teeth. So it makes sense every the way the way the game of domination and control has been set up. It makes sense to put these limitations on humanity, because then if humanity realizes that they have all these powers, they become independent of the system, and that's no good. Like I was saying to uh, to Dolly. <laughs> You know, they used us, our, our consciousness, our energy to manifest the reality they want. But it's so insidious because if you, if you are, um, if you're a dairy farmer and you have a, a herd of cows, right? And you exploit them for their milk. And I guess at one time some of them will get slaughtered or you exploit them for their, for their meat. But you have to maintain them. You know, you have to, feed them and water them, give them medical attention. The, the system of control and domination is so insidious, they've gone beyond that. Imagine a dairy farmer that has a herd of cows, but the cows have to go out and earn their food and their water, <laughs> and then you get their milk for free. That's what they've done. You know, that's the way they've set up the system. Not only are they using our consciousness, our focus, our energy to manifest the world that they want, but on top of it, we pay them for it. <laughs> it's a win-win scenario, isn't it? So this is it. This is the time to, you know, wake up to all these little programs that have been implemented into us and just clean house. You know, like going into that attic you've never visited in 20 years. Do I need this? No. Out. Do I need this? No. And there's no need to spend any time dwelling on it and being outraged. Oh, my God. They've exploited me for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Well, it, it was what it was, a game, an experiment, but now it's officially over. So now I can do away with it. You know, what What, what do I want? Revenge? Well, David Wilcock pointed <laughs> out very clearly that, you know, 
you, you can't punish all these people because those are the people that know how to run the country, know how to run the economy. And that, you know, we, there, there's an unknown number that would get out if they could. They're trapped too. Yeah. So it's, it, it's just better to, you know, you know, go after the, well, you know, it's going to be really easy to figure out who the really culprits are because those are the ones that have fled to Antarctica. And, uh, Switzerland. So and, this is, this is, uh, who's confirming these exodus? Uh, Corey Good in his writings? He's confirming these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, ha- well, what happened was that, well, let, let's go back to the beginning because we're going to have, um, Taryn, aka American Kapuki, on, uh, Saturday and he's going to do the, another two shows. Um, can you remember to ask him a question for me? Sure, what? Well, it, it has to do with what he said about this lady, Heather, the lawyer, who is an embodiment of one of those 11 essences. Uh, I, I, I listened to uh, four of the five hours. I listened to Dolly's show, then I listened to the Say What, where you were there, but I haven't listened to the to the fifth hour. Um. And he spoke about the, the that document that the lady wrote, and that it was written in special language, multidimensional language, and the galactics picked it up immediately and they understood it. So my question that has to do with that document is the following. If, according to the document, the experiment of separation is officially over, the Sphere Alliance recognizes this, acknowledges it, and they are the ones enforcing it. Maybe not here on the surface of the Earth, but at least it's being enforced at the galactic interplanetary level. My question is, when are they bringing down the veil of forgetting? Because in this experiment of separation, if you see it as a recipe, like a recipe for a cake or a recipe for what it is, an experiment, the number one ingredient is the veil of separation. That's what keeps well, us that, up. that's, but see, my feeling is, is that that's not their decision. That is our decision. We have to do it. If we can't do it, then game over. Well, that, then that done. brings another question then. That's, that see, was. But, but what, what he says, what he says is that it's going to happen in an instant that you remember that it drops. So they know that it's going to drop. All right. Okay. But is it going to drop because we suddenly see the sphere or because we get to that point and open up to go, oh, yeah, and there's also the sphere alliance, you know, remember them? <laughs> and then, boom, they're there. Oh, here, they're here. See this? You know, I mean, it's it's timing. Well, that so that's that brings up my second question. In the, the veil of forgetting. Is it being produced and sustained from the astral planes by some kind of exotic technology, or is it being sustained by the collective consciousness who has been duped into believing that it exists? I or, don't know. I'll try to remember to ask them, but my my <laughs> response is, is the second one, again, mm-hmm. is that it, it doesn't make any sense to me that all of a sudden somebody comes and whisks away the veil. All right, because what was the point? Well, the experiment is over. 
I mean, that's what the document is for. The experiment of separation, it's complete, it's over, source has gotten all the data that it could possibly milk out of this monstrous experiment. So why do we need to keep the lights running? Why do we need to keep the machine running? It's over. Well, and it might be, you know, it's one thing to to say technically that, you know, the other guy can't mess anymore. All right? Now, let me put it to you this way. You're in a soccer game. Okay? And suddenly they end the game because, well, ta, you know, it's, uh, we just are over it. You don't have the pleasure of winning the game. You know what I'm saying? And it is a game. And we've been playing this game. Whether we were duped into it as, you know, higher spirits or duped into it as 3D people. Well, I think it's kind of quadruple overtime, this game. (laughs) My belief is that it's the, the game is to take a species that integrates... DNA, now according to, um, which one of them was it? Was it, um, yeah, it's Corey Good. Corey Good said that there were 22, uh, messings with DNA. And also Alex Collier confirmed the same number, 22. So let's say you've got 22 star families out there that have put 22 different DNAs. This is a unique situation here. I believe that we are on the verge of, it's almost like you've been running on one computer and you got ten computers that are now coming online. And when those kick in, then you will have the veils dropping everywhere. I don't believe the Sphere Alliance can come in and show themselves until the dropping of the veil. And I believe that that's in the, in the, the minds of human beings. And yeah, they, they were con- they were convinced into the same the same thing that we that it's being done here on the material level, the three D level, where they're exploiting our consciousness and our energy to sustain the reality they want. This is not unique to the three D. They've done this in the etheric, and they've done it in the astral. They've set up a system where. We were being exploited. This is the thing that uh, Andrew Bartz speaks of, that for so long incarnation in this planet was subverted and into forced reincarnation. Either okay, but Brittany, uh, okay, let's, let's, let's step back and, and, and talk about that because you're forgetting the Archon event that we did yeah. months, months ago. All right. Now I give you that there was messing in the etheric level, which is a blueprint for the 3D. Mm-hmm. That occurred because of human machinations when back in Atlantis they wanted to control, to, to control the, the etheric connection, which then connects you to your higher bodies by the putting in a artificial intelligence energy. It was just gonna sort of disconnect us. That was yeah. the purpose of it. That's what I interpreted when I looked at it. Alright, and it was that Weird vision of um, all the heads tied into to the electronics. Remember that? Yep, yep. So we worked with other spirits and decided that we could put a sub-program in that would, you know, turn that around. And that's what happened. 
So the, some of the things that people are still talking about are, are no longer there. Are no longer there in our reality. In in our reality, Walt. Because either those things happened or they didn't happen. Yeah. Either they're real or they're not. Alright, so I'm I'm going to make the assumption that they're real and I'm going to focus on the fact that a lot of these controls are no longer there and have not been there for a while, which is something Taryn indicated too. He said that they had had a um that that it was no longer possible for them to uh do terrible things to humanity and not have energetic repercussions from it. Yeah, that's the reason you were explaining in the other show <laughs> why they were forced to use Crisis actors? <laughs> Crisis actors. And that started with the Boston, um, well, at least by the Boston bombing it was happening, and, and it looks like the one before that at the school, Sandy Hook, um, that it had started. So this started quite a ways back, the fact that they, they, were, they were already changes, and some of those changes, whether we understood it or not, were allowing us to sort of like start to remember, start to expand. If we could step back and look at all of the different little storylines that have been happening, then we could see the bigger story. And maybe that's what we need to do. But right now, we've got a situation where a lot of the controls have already been gone. There is nothing well, really holding us back from making this leap except ourselves. Exactly. One of the... I like the the super positive confirmation when... Um, Taryn got that update. He got a, a message from Denise is the name of the lady that he works with who communicates directly with the Sphere Alliance. And he got the message concerning the beacon. Okay. If, if the message is confirming their awareness of it and the functionality of it, what was the purpose? So if that little thing, they are aware of it. And they actually avail themselves of it at one time. That to me is confirmation that the dialer is, is real and it works and that the cube is real and it works. And the whole matrix has been changing ever since all of that stuff went online. So that's a very nice external confirmation. And I'm, we're talking external because we're talking people from outside of this planet confirming for us. So that's. Well, in, a, in actual, in actuality, it wasn't, it, it was, it was all, okay. You got the, you got the image to make the devices. I got the down put of, you know, what they're for. And exactly. then I get a telepathic communication with the Sphere Alliance, the Blue Avians at that point, telling me that this was a beacon so that they knew which reality to come to. Mm-hmm. Right? But that, all of that was spirit guided. Exactly. You know, it wasn't like we said, hey, let's, let, there's some blue avians up there. Let's put a uh, spear so that they can, can find us. It wasn't <laughs> like that. It was like all of a sudden we're being, you know, but we were willing to follow a crazy story. Yeah. You know, um, and it's all storytelling. It's which story is going to turn out to be the best story? Because then we're only going to accept the best story, you know. And so to me, the best story is that human beings, in the form of you and me and whoever else has been on this journey with us, you know, have made certain changes to the construct of reality. We have created a third reality simply because we thought we could and because we were being led to devices that allowed us to. I mean, the, of all the things that Taryn said, 
in those five hours. The one that shook me was when he talked about his near-death experiment, experience. Oh, yeah. And he was shown a cube, a hyperdimensional, he called it a tesseract. And if you go to Haggy, uh, Haggy, uh, uh, YouTube, Haggy, Haggy Shack YouTube, you'll see, um, the first hour of the first hour that he was on, I did put graphics to it because I felt it was necessary to be able to make it easier to imagine what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Cause he was talking about things that like, 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 what's, what's a hyperdimensional tube, or a cube? What's a Hesseract, you know, Tesseract? So yeah. it was pictures are there, but those pictures are so reminiscent of what you image in your mind of the reality cube. Uh-huh. That that's not coincidence. I mean, it's coincidence. No. It's not action. You know, what I mean, it, it, you that's can't. Not you know, it's like that's thought and action. Uh, Dolly asked on one show, "Did did I think that it was destined that that Taryn and I meet on in that particular?" Thing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, it's it's not that I think somebody up there is playing chess with me. I think that we are all. United in a higher kind of consciousness to do this stuff. And that it's a great orchestration of, you know, just bringing people who are talking the same talk. I mean, I'm stunned by how there's a synchronicity in everything that we're hearing out there. So many things that, I mean, when was it, Walt, not very long ago that I said I think the Dracos had come in because the AI had, had, had gotten into them? You know that whole story? Yeah. Well, now, now, now Simon Parks is saying the same thing, and I don't think he listens to me. I may listen to him, but I don't think he listens to me. What, what, you know? uh, how, did he, how did he present that story? What does he say about it? That they were infected with nano uh, AI. Oh. And that, 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 that's why they came here. I mean, the same story I told that I said, I was, I said, I'm making this up, sort of. <laughs> this is, this is what I, what's in my head right now. I'm telling you what I'm, what I'm thinking, which is part of the collective consciousness. Yep. You know, he and I may have gotten the, Im- the images at the same time. You know, somebody else may have gotten it before us. Who the hell knows? But I know that there's a, there's a synchronicity in the way that we're starting to perceive everything. The veil is already coming down. That's what I'm trying to say. Yep. And it's been coming down. And, and when it finally falls, when everybody goes, holy shit, when that happens, that's when the blue, the spheres, the sphere alliance. Well, here, here's, your, here's your evidence to back up everything you said up to this point. Uh, decades ago, I mean, if we look, um, remember, um, in the early 1900s, uh, both in Europe and in the Americas, uh, there was a short renaissance where a lot of people were interested in esoteric things and metaphysical things. Like, that's about the, the time when Madame Blavatsky, you know, appeared and the theosoph- theosophic movement got started and seances were commonplace and many people that uh, today are considered scientists at the time had no qualms about doing things like meditation or astral projecting. That's what, you know, Edison used to do. Uh, but at the time, that, that just goes to show you how strong and how healthy the veil of forgetting was at the time. 
it would take someone literally years and years and years of discipline and constant training to be able to achieve those things like telepathy or or remote viewing or stuff i mean that that's where that's why when you read those old books you keep reading all these stories of you know even even europeans you know they would go to india and they would spend 10 20 years with a guru and they would meditate 6 hours every day and you, you would see these tremendous feats of physical mental uh discipline and in our eyes we would call it torture <laughs> but because you know the the veil was so strong and powerful it it would take tremendous efforts on your part to unplug yourself from it and be able to use your natural psychic powers that we all have but now the thing is onion skin it's so frail and it's so transparent uh there are people experiencing telepathy who no, never even knew what the word meant so that that that's to me is proof positive of how the thing is collapsing um, quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it just it it's it's absolutely a beautiful thing to perceive. Um, but I I'm getting kind of let's get this done quickly. <laughs> you know. Um, Let's get the party started. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I'm kind of schizophrenic about it because at one part of me says, oh, this is so much fun just watching it slowly evolve, you know? It's because if you go in slow, you can catch the details. Oh. You know? And the other part of me is going like, I don't want one more animal to suffer. I don't want one more child to suffer. I don't. I've got this total empathic kind of, ugh, you know? And so the other day I was, I was meditating. I'm thinking, okay. Obviously, we got to do this as fast as we can do it. You know, let's, let's pull the two. That's back. the reason for my question at the beginning of the show. If this lady has composed this document and the experiment is over, okay, then let's the suffering be over as well. You know, it's over. That's right. enough. Right, but it's not up to them. It's up to yeah, us. yeah. I so, get that part. Okay, so that's what, why that's why they are able to enforce it at the galactic level, because that's where they come in, but they're not allowed to enforce it at the planetary level. Correct. The humans that have to... That's why the, um, I, only, I only watched it because I pay for the Hulu subscriptions, or they're, so they, they are showing that movie um, Interstellar with uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey, you know, the actor. Uh, that movie rubbed me the wrong way, that I just, it's insulting because the storyline is that there's a, there's a, um, a plant illness. Uh, they call, uh, I forget what they call it. It's, it's like, uh, you know, when, when you have, um, crops and they're attacked by some kind of fungus and the, the, you have to burn the crops because otherwise the thing keeps spreading. Well, they, the whole planet is suffering of this, uh, illness that's attacking the vegetation. So at one point in the film, Michael Caine, who's the scientist working on perfecting anti-gravity propulsion, he says, we're not meant to save the planet, we're meant to leave it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that just, that just kicked me in the face. 
you made you guys made this mess with your technology and your and your greed and all your crap, and now you're gonna leave. I mean, that's just I guess maybe I'm too finicky or something, but I, I, that just that scene just bothered me. Well, I, I, my feeling is, is that, um, there's no point in leaving. You know, if we can't do it here, we can't do it. And, and, well, I, I mean, I, I'm going to ask Taryn about the cube again. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, I think I, I think that they took a, they finally got a picture of it. And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to send it to him and say, does this look familiar? Because if, if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. one way or the other. But, if it looks familiar to him and he understands what it was all about, then it clearly makes sense what the guides told him. The, you know, when he, the, actually, I think it was a But that was quite significant that those folks that wanted him to fiddle with the cube, he didn't like them. He got a really bad impression of this. Uh, when he first started his ND, you know, he had a chance to meet his own guides and, you know, positive entities. But then when the, this, these other entities showed up and took him to where he saw the skew, he specifically said he got a really bad feeling about these folks. They were completely different from the others. And that's why he, when he realized that if he did tamper with this, things would take a really, really nasty turn. And that's why he, he said no, and he opened his eyes, and he was back in the hospital bed. Well, when he asked the Spear Alliance about it, they said, had you tried to, to change it, it would have allowed the Nazi timeline to continue forever. You know, and that that's why, to me, I mean, it's it, you know that we went out there and we said things and we had a great time telling stories and playing. Um it was all real to me, but we presented it as reality sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And now we're, what, going on two years, I guess, into it. And we're having a massive amount of, like, all the thoughts are starting to collect. Coll- it's, it's, like, it's like the different reality sci-fis are beginning to cluster. Yeah. yeah. Hey, what's the noise behind you? Oh, sorry. I'm packaging spirals. No, 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 no. I figured since I'm using my mouth, I might as well use my hands for something. Yeah, but we can hear this paper crunching or something. I didn't... I'm sorry, I didn't know it was so loud. I apologize for that. Okay, we're going to forgive you. Okay. (laughs) Colleen just asked... She had asked. I didn't even see it. What's all that cracking sound? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just wall packaging. Graham cookies. <laughs> Sounds like the cat playing with the blinds. <laughs> oh. Now, here the robins do that. They're the ones who play with the blinds. Oh, you want to hear a story? This was, this was crazy. This one. Um, my family, uh, my cousin lives up in New York and it was very hot and she opened up the window a little bit, um, and there was blinds in front of it. And the cat got behind the windows and up near the screen where it was cooler, you know. And all of a sudden they heard this blood-curdling sound from the cat. And her husband ran into the room and kind of like pulled up the, the, the shade. And 
the cat jumped down and, you know, and he didn't know what had happened, what was going on, you know. But the next day they found the screen had been shredded. There was a bear out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. What what state is this that they're living in? New York, Binghamton, New York area. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're and, upstate. And, yeah, and that was one of those things where I'm going, like, please, we've got to stop this quickly because this is everything is going every everything's going haywire. You know, the, it's the, the, the old reality, the Nazi reality is self-destructing at this point. Um, you remember one time I had this, this, uh, this vision kind of thought, this thing in my head about two boats that were still tied together? No, yeah. You remember that, that illusion that I had? Well, now what I see is I see this you know, civilization that's just starting to crumble. And, and, you know, huge chunks are just falling away from it. And I think that the, the reason that, that everything is on track is because we had that third reality, the one that Anelia said she sees start up. Again, yeah. that was one of the first confirmations where she started talking about she's seeing a third reality. And so that third reality that's being maintained by the cube, and that's the other thing I, I need to have him explain more what he thought that cube was for because he does he started talking about you know something to do with um reality and you know locking in reality he didn't use locking in he used another word but a construct of reality i think something like that wasn't it um shortly after you got it i think it was around the time um you had already taken the cube outside the house, put it where the that Merkava structure is, and I think you had just recently received the dialer, and I was sending you the different implosion coils for different essences. And I think one of them, I think, was anti-tyranny or peace or one of these essences, and you said they guided me to put a specific one and just keep it there running, but at the same time you were following some event in the Middle East where there was going to be an open declaration of war or something, and it didn't come to pass. Remember that that got shifted? Well, no, that, that was when I first got the um, the radionics box that we call the reality dialer. Mm -hmm. And um, you sent it, and then Cindy was here, and I was sort of showing it to her, and I heard something rattling. And I'm going like, what's, what's that sound? So I, I eventually opened up the back to find a piece of shungite that was rolling around in there. And mm -hmm. I saw where it should have been, but it wouldn't, there was no way that it wanted to go back in there. So then I got you in. I said, what's this? Can I take this out? Because it doesn't seem to want to be there. And you said, yes, you know, so we took that out and then put it back together again. And, uh, the next day, I attempted to turn it on, to work with it. Well, no, actually, what happened was I was minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I get this, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta turn that reality dialer on. And I'm going like, but I'm, I'm, I'm busy, you know. No, no, you gotta do it right now, right now. Okay, 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 okay. So I get it out and, and a radionics box is, you know, it's the same directions for every radionics box, basically. You've got a witness and, you put something on that and then using the 
kind of etheric magical wiring that goes with it you create a frequency of of energy that can um do many things it's been around for a very long time in this case the circuitry was based on shungite and um the witness was uh, uh a, a copper plate that is in the triangle form that's then connected to the box a lot of times it'll be a a can on the box you know a tin can on the box that's the witness um but in this case Walt had made a very interesting one in that it was it was portable so to speak so i'm um trying to get this thing on and it's not turning on and i get an image in my head that i need to take a piece of elite shungite and a piece of raw shungite but unfortunately the raw shungite that i'm seeing is the piece that was had been rolling around in the radionics box and when I took it out, I put it on the table, and then Cindy and I looked for it, and we looked all over for it, and we could not find this piece of nugget. So I get the image of the uh, elite. I know exactly where that is, and I get the picture of that, and I went, oh, crap, because I know that we can't find it. And I look over to the table where I had put it when I first took it out, and it's sitting right there. <laughs> There's no way that that thing, we, we would have missed it, you know? So then, um, okay, so what do you want me to do with these? You want me to put it in a pendant. Okay, so what wire do you want? We want hematite. Okay, so I get the hematite wire, and I wire the two together like I do a pendant. But then no sooner did I do that than they told me, now you've got to reverse the thing, and you've got to do it again, but in the other direction. And um, what this created i was told after the fact was that we had created a torsion field in this pendant because at the top the two wires going in opposite directions was causing a torsion field correct well the standing wave yep so anyway when once i made this thing and i put it on the uh on the witness <coughs> the whole thing the, the radionics box just boom came to life and they're going like, okay, okay. And, I, and I'm going like, well, what's the witness? What are we doing? And they said, you're the witness. And I'm going, I'm the witness. Yeah, you're the witness. All right. What do you want me to do? And they said, program no third world war. And I said, okay. So now I'm the witness. So I got the, the thing on my chest. I got the key hanging on it. I, the, I call it the key because that's what it was. You can't start this thing up unless you've got this. So I got the key. I got the witness pro on my chest. And now I gotta dial it in, and that's three dials that I've gotta sync with energy to get this. What, what's basically happening is they're taking my thought and they're extraordinarily expanding it through the radionics box. It's, it's, they, they take a 3D thought and they hike up the energy level to it until it's an etheric thought. Then at the etheric level, it does wherever it's going or whatever it wants to do. In this case, I was supposed to stop third world war. Um, and so that, that image is coming through on the blueprint side of reality, the, the etheric. Okay, and it just comes down into the 3D, and that's why in this particular radionics box and, and you know, others are never going to run this powerful because of the circuitry through the Shungite. But so that's what happened. They needed me to get that thought into the etheric so that it could change the world and not have a third world war. 
as soon as I hooked up in the energy and I got it in, in phase, I was not comfortable. I really was not comfortable at all. Um, I had to maintain just the thought, no third world war. That's all I had to do. But I kept losing the focus because I was feeling so sick. Um, everything in me was spinning. I was like, I, I can't tell you it was, it was just like everything was spinning. And so I've got to maintain this thought in my head and not fall back into a 3D recognition of, whoa, I'm not feeling good. And three times I said, can I get out of this? No. And it was the third time, and they went, wait, 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 okay, like that. And I went, oh, thank God, you know. And so I take this this thing off of me, take the key away from it, and I said, where am I supposed to put this? And I get the image that I'm supposed to put it right next to this um uh Compute, it's crystal computer system that I didn't even know I was making, but apparently that's what it is. And I stick it in there, and I, and I was, this is what was so crazy about it was that as I'm putting it, putting it down, I'm, I'm walking and I'm going like, what is that noise? And I'm hearing this, what is that noise, you know? And I started to forget what I was doing, and even though I'm in the process of doing it, and started focusing in on the noise, and gradually I realized it was the air conditioner. And when it was, when I finally realized it was the air conditioner, I was back in my 3D environment. The spinning had stopped, and I went, "Oh my God, where, what, what the hell? What had had just happened?" You know. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I took a lot of drugs in my life, so it was probably just <laughs> preparing me for that instant because. What I believe happened is that the key, being the witness, doing what I was doing, created a standing wave around me. And that when I got up and started moving, I was walking within a, a standing wave. And it was the air conditioner in the 3D reality that drew me back to the 3D. I started focusing on it. I started resonating again with the 3D. I didn't panic. <laughs> it wasn't anything to panic about, but after the fact, I thought, whoa, that was close. But anyway, so <laughs> what I found out was that, and I was very, when these things are happening, I've learned to pay attention to the time. Um, so before I start doing something, I'll glance at the clock to know what time it is. And what I found out was that when they had me get into this, uh, putting out this thought of no third world war, they had started bombing Syria. It lasted for 20 minutes, and then it stopped. And there was no explanation as to why they did it or why it stopped. And, you know, my my take from it was that that attack was, the, uh, was supposed to initiate the Third World War. And instead... They had me do this energy thing that just imprinted, you know, no, you're not going to do this. And no matter what they tried, wouldn't have worked because of that amount of focused energy on one thought. Now, was it me? I didn't know the Syrians were about to do this. You know, somebody was giving me the messaging. Um, yeah, you know, that... <clears throat> I'm sorry. No, what, I, what I just wanted to mention is that um, I didn't even, when I put together the box, I didn't follow the traditional radionics box structure. There, there is 
uh, a traditional layout of how a Vrianix box should be wired. Uh, but this, the design for this came from your guides because if you remember at the time you gave me permission to speak to your guides if I had any questions. And they're the ones who gave a lot of insight uh, onto the workings of Shanghai. They're the ones who showed me that if you take the Shanghai spirit spiral with the three pieces of Shanghai, which I made it, I put four and one fell out. <laughs> That's the one that was rattling. Um, what you would end up doing, they, they use the words reality dialer because he's, they said by powering the box with a Shanghai spirit spiral, you're literally driving that vortex wherever you want, therefore allowing you to dial up the reality that you want. And that's why I named it that. And, and they're the ones who gave me what I put underneath where it says, you know, power demands responsibility. Absolute power demands absolute responsibility. That came also from them. And that's why I put that on underneath the box. Well, actually, don't you remember what happened was that when we opened it up, you hadn't put it on the box. Yeah, I, because when we, we opened it up, maybe it was on the bottom of the box, but when we opened it up, I actually, no, you, somehow or another, I, there was a paper with that written on it. So when I opened up the box, I put it inside the box. Mm. I don't remember if you gave it to me or you told me or it was, I don't know, but we, we actually put that saying inside the box. Mm. No, absolute power demands absolute responsibility. So that's why, I mean, when I was assembling that, I was like almost like, remember with the cube, I was in a rush to, to get it to you. I didn't want it. <laughs> the same thing happened with the box. I didn't even want to turn the dial for any reason. And even that is different from a traditional radionics box because when I do, when they do a traditional box, whether it has three, six, or nine knobs, the traditional structure is that all the pots, the, you know, they're, they're called pots, because short for potentiometers, all the pots have the same value. But these three is different. They have uh, values and they have uh, decreasing values. So with those three, you achieve the same level of granularity and precision as if you had nine or 12 pots. That also came from them. That wasn't my idea. I just followed instructions. Well, it certainly seemed to work. <laughs> certainly well, seemed to work. Well, think about it in these other terms. Um, we were never going to change the old reality. Because, like I said before, it's the, I, I know it sounds like a broken record, but it's working perfectly. So what in it can you touch or avail yourself of to change it? Nothing. All the mechanisms, all the agencies, all the organizations, all the structures, everything is designed to keep you as you, we've been all this time, you know, slaves of the system. There is nothing in place to turn it off. They, they made it without an off switch. <laughs> so they have well, to they, give us something. They have to give us something. It, br it brings me back to what Dolores Cannon said when she asked the guys, what's the purpose of humanity? And the response was to understand how to manipulate energy. Yeah. What we, what we did in deciding to create a new reality was the ultimate 
decision to manipulate reality. I mean, manipulate energy. Yeah. Because we, we said that if we put our focus into the old reality to fix it, we're still putting our energies into it, perpetuating it. Exactly. If we build a new reality, we focus all our energies on the new reality, and sooner or later, there'll be enough people that are drawn to our reality to the point that there is no more energy sustaining the old reality. I mean, that's that's the theory that we had when we started talking about it. And yep. then, as soon as we committed to that kind of like, I don't think either one of us had a clue as to how we were going to do it, but then you started getting these th- these devices. Yeah. <clears throat> that began to teach us how to manipulate energy. Yeah, and, and think think of it, um, these uh, extraterrestrial civilizations that so many people are fond of, you know, talking about them and everything. Okay, so we can state clearly that they are, okay, thousands of years older than us or thousands of years more advanced than us, but they still avail themselves of technology. Oh, of course, it's so advanced. You know, the old saying, technology advanced enough looks nothing short of magic, right? But they're still using it, so there must be a purpose for it. Well, it's like Shanghai, it looked like magic. <laughs> you know, it looks like magic. Because and that's, that's, weird, that's weird one things. of the things about the... Um, that's, I think that's one of the things about the old reality that's, that we have to bring down with Shanghai. The fact that all the energy systems are designed to put out negative energy. The energy in the water is negative. The energy in the natural gas is negative. The energy in the electric power that we get is negative. And when we change that spin, when we change that torsion field from negative to positive, uh, Machines don't wear as much. Machines use less energy to do the same amount of work. Machines don't heat up. Uh, everything becomes better because that's it. That, I mean, David Wilcock has said that this is a positive universe. It, it is. The nature of this universe is positive. It's not negative. Um, on the issue of radiation, for example, um, I forget. I always get them confused. The... This fellow, Walter Campbell, Campbell is the, I think he wrote several book, metaphysical books. He's the one that said that radiation is, it's nothing short of death energy. And radiation has a counterclockwise spin. That's why I said to you, this is what the Russians must have used to save the lives of all those emergency workers at Chernobyl, because they're still around. They haven't died riddled with tumors or illnesses. In fact, one of them was, I saw him in an interview that was done years after, you know, the Chernobyl thing had been sealed up. So that's one of the things, um, I'll give you another example of this business of positive energy versus negative energy. Um, this, I think he's Australian or a New Zealander, uh, this gentleman by the last name of Searle, who invented his own kind of um, power generator that uses these magnetic cylinders and concentric rings and the thing, once it starts rotating, it never stops. It's so powerful that you can use it as a generator and you can use it as propulsion for a flying ship 
and in fact he he has shown prototypes how this thing will actually power a ship and you can actually drive it. And one of the things he did is he built one for himself and he connected it to his house. So instead of drawing power from the power uh, grid, he was actually putting power back into the grid. And they, they were looking for every loophole to shut it down because they said, oh, you're stealing power. And when they went to take measurements, it was the other way around. He was giving them power. But the point that I wanted to make is that uh, I don't know where in the house he had this generator sitting, but he spent several hours a day, you know, sitting in the house. So he's exposed to the field that this generation generator is putting out. And in the first few months, uh, he noticed he was getting younger. The, the illnesses that he had began to dissolve a little bit at a time, and he started regaining a lot of health that he had lost. Uh, his body was getting younger. And all of that for sitting inside a field of positive energy, a clockwise spinning field. And, you know, the man doesn't know Shungite. So that just goes to show how important it is to get our energy back in everything. You know, food, air, water, get all that energy in a clockwise direction and everything's going to change. I mean, I was surprised the change in the car with the high temperature magnet application. Remember I showed you the thing on that Skype? Yes. Oh, the... The engine got quiet and smooth when I put the first Fox mass on the gas tank. But this time it got even quieter and, and smoother. And I'll tell you later the, I did the temperature change. And yes, there is a, the, the engine gets hotter without the magnet. So it must change the, the field that the engine block puts out. So you did test the, the uh, temperature of the engine itself without the Shungite magnet and then with the Shungite magnet. Yeah. And with the yeah. Shungite magnet, it was cooler. Well, what I what I did is I chose a specific point so I would be consistent in always testing the same point. Not, you know, it doesn't make any sense if you're going to test this point with one condition and then another point with a different condition that you're losing your your baseline. So I chose one specific point. And without the magnet, I I took the magnet out. I drove maybe 20, 25 minutes, came back to the house, opened the hood, got the temperature probe. I put it on the point. I counted to 30, and it read 156 degrees Fahrenheit. Then with the magnet, because I've, I had a tough time finding a spot where to attach it, I found a spot right next to the oil filter on the block and attach the magnet there. Again, I drove something like 20, 25 minutes, came back, uh, went, probed the same spot, counted to 30, and this time it was measuring 145 Fahrenheit. Um, the engine was actually quieter. I mean, it got quiet when I put the Fox mask on the gas tank, but this time it was really quiet. I think it works. But I guess I'll, I'll make another prototype. And you, oh no, I can't send it to you. You're not a good test subject because you don't like to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're at the top of the hour, so let's do a tune and we'll take a little break and then we'll. And we're back. 
Okay, you're listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins and Walt Silva and Colleen Kelly is producing from Aggie Shack Radio. Um, <clears throat> Dolly wants us to cover the, the space, uh, the secret space program, so we're going to do that. And the way that I'm going to do that is I, I, I took some notes. I, I, I went to, to, um, ex-political, is it? What is it? Ex-politics, whatever it is. And, um, a lot of other, uh, sites and just started taking notes because it gets extremely confusing as to what we're really talking about. But there are certain, when I first started hearing about this, it was sort of like you got the image that it was just this one big conspiracy that created the space uh, community. How they, what I first started hearing about it was that there were hundred thousands 10,000, I don't remember how many, but there were thousands of people who were thinkers, scientists, uh, you know, uh, engineers, all these, these, these kind of like, uh, educated people who were disappearing. And that started in the 60s. Um, <clears throat> was nothing that, of course we didn't have the internet, it was nothing that seemed to make any sense, but there were indications that this was occurring. So, it just I got piled away way way back in my mind, and then much later, like you know, in the two thousands, you start hearing about um, somebody hacking into uh, the, the military's um, computers and finding out that there are people that are being assigned to ships that don't aren't ships that are navy ships in the U.S. and that they must be the secret space ships. Then you get people like um, Randy Kramer that comes out, and he talks about having been an 18-year-old and taken out of his body and going on a 20-year um, stint of being a, a space person. Now, he actually lived this, okay? But what they did was they, at the time he was 18... They took him and they put him through 20 years of, of going to Mars and, and doing all sorts of things. And then when <clears throat> he was over the 20 years, they sent him back. But they sent him back in time, not just sent him back to Earth, to when he was 18. So he wakes up in his 18-year-old body after having lived for 20 years. Now, some of us think that maybe that's a good idea, but not really if you've lived in a weird life like he has. And then you wake up and you're 18 years old again, and then you're going through your life and suddenly you start to remember this other 20 years that you lived. So Kramer was, um, there was another guy before him, I think his name was Phillips, I won't swear to it, and other people that started coming out and telling about these bizarre stories about a secret space, uh, they called it the breakaway civilization. As more and more of these people started coming out and as more leaking started happening, it was like, oh, my God, is this true? Is there really a Star Trek universe out there that we weren't we weren't aware of? The guy that really seemed to have made the difference was a guy by the name of Corey Good. And pre- prior to even him, uh, there was a guy that came out that by the name of William Tompkins. And he said that in the, after World War II, he was hired to get different, um, information that they had gotten from the Germans, uh, you know, on spacecraft and, and other information 
to different um organiz- co- companies or aerospace companies that um could handle the information that could do something with it um he ended up becoming a member of the US Navy in a program to establish actual space battle groups um at that time it, he said that nordic extraterrestrials now the nordics i you know they they look like nordic people here humans extraterrestrials that's my understanding of it um they were seeking to uh get the allies of to be allied with the us navy and help them with the spacecraft because they were in galactic conflict with the draconian reptilians so Tompkins says the Nordic extraterrestrials themselves were embedded in the aerospace companies. Now, along comes a guy by the name of, uh, he's a rock star apparently, I don't know him, Tom DeLonge, uh, and he co- co-authored a book, um, Secret Machines Chasing Shadows, which was the first in a multimedia series of books and documentaries promising to blow the lid off a cover of, of a secret space program in the UFO phenomena. A close reading of this fiction based on fact suggests that what it more accurately does is expose the reader to the first level of multi-layered set of secret space programs. Um, he was the lead vocalist for Blink-182, which I can't tell you anything about. But he came out and he tells very much the same story um, in that the Nazis were given access to... Um, extraterrestrial help in the development of technology. Um, but what the, what they decided, the writers of all this, they, they kind of decided that maybe this guy was given information because it's all unraveling. And in a um, intelligence terminology, it's, uh, they put up a hangout scenario. Now, what this means is that you tell almost everything but not not everything in order for your audience to believe what you want them to believe not what is the truth so what the truth is is that based on this 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 new this Deloney what did I tell you his name was good lord yeah Delong um what they're trying to do is to say that Oh no, there's no extraterrestrials. It's all this secret, um, uh, space stuff out there that's really, uh, started with the Nazis and then the U.S. got involved and the Soviets got involved and we've got all these, uh, there's many, many secret, um, uh, secret programs ongoing. Countries have their own little secret programs ongoing, but there's no extraterrestrials. And so this might be one of those situations where, um, You've got somebody that sounds like he's got the credentials and the information, but they just really don't want you to uh, kind of get the whole picture, that there's extraterrestrials out there and it's much more complicated than even the concept of a breakaway civilization and that every country has their own little space, you know, secrets out there, secrets, you know. So what we're saying here is that what really happened is probably muddled in a di- in a number of different scenarios and stories that people have been told. But my looking at it all, I'm going to just give you what what I think happened. Okay, 
I think that the Nazis were, they did have the, the crash in the black force. So they had the craft. They had something physical that they could use to, to, you know, figure out how it was built so that they'd have the same technology. But even then it would have been a, a daunting task. So the extraterrestrials, and it could have been the, the draconians trying to get the Nazis to take over the world so it would be easier for them. That, that's a potential that I won't dispute. So they, the draconians can p- pretend to be anybody and get the information through the Brill Society, which was a, a bunch of girls that had seemingly psychic uh, abilities. And who the, who the heck knows who they were? You know, I mean, there's a lot of stories about who they may be. But the fact of the matter is, is that everything that I've seen tells me that the Nazis were highly in, invested in uh, space travel and in exotic propulsion systems, and that part of them got in, ended up in Russia at Soviet Union at the time, and that part of them came over to America. And so you have technology that's taking extreme jumps in potential but kept very secret. And so you got these little organizations that are doing this thing on each country. Now, the thing, the thing that, that, that is always sort of like made everybody kind of stop and wonder about is the armada of Navy ships that went to Antarctic in 46 under Admiral Byrd. Because they go down there and something happens. Now, According to the Russian interpretation, the armada was attacked by UFOs, German, uh, German piloted UFOs built by the Germans, and they turned around and ran away. There's another story that perhaps Admiral Burr, because he disappeared, it was weird, he gets in a plane and he's gone for longer than there's gas in the plane, that Admiral Byrd actually somehow or another interfaced with the Nazis that were in fact in Antarctic and probably were in fact working hand in hand with ETs. Byrd probably was, um, did have the information because things changed kind of drastically after that. And you have um, a situation that it eventually evolves into a flyover of what I believe are Nazi UFOs in the 50s, early 50s, over D.C., that somebody that I met was actually there, and they said that it was um, was very frightening because the people in the city knew this was happening. I think it happened for three days. I forgot to check this this data. But they, they just flew over. Now, the interpretation of that by a number of people is that that was actually Nazis who were saying to the these all these different organizations and these corporations and and by that time the governments were not really there were not really republics and anymore it was all it's all constant the the war the war world war 2 changed everything from from you know a semi concept of government into absolute control by the corporations so it was a flyby with the Nazis saying, look, we can, we can make absolute havoc throughout the earth if we just fly around because the people will just, you know, fall apart and go crazy and, uh, you know, wreck your entire economies and your, your countries and everything else. 
or we can make a deal. And we'll get together and we'll just make a deal. So at that point, you have um, a situation where the corporations began to, instead of work to destroy the Nazi Fourth Reich, it's in, located in, in uh, Antarctica, and they decide that they're going to work with them. So now you've got the Nazis and the corporations, the Western corporations, completely integrating themselves. Okay, I'm going to go back to my notes here because you you have, as this starts to happen, as they sort of co- coalesce in their um, organizational uh, format, they begin to, to work faster. Everything starts to work faster because now you've got more people working on some of the same things. Um, it, it's, okay, um, the U.S. Navy, okay, in Oregon began to be involved in a number of extraterrestrial-related projects from 1985 to 1999. Now, what was happening there is that, again, you get a new influx of of technical uh, capabilities because human beings are incredibly, once you get them going, they, like Walt says, they're the best manifestors in the universe. Now, when Tompkins, William Tompkins, was in his you know, association with Navy intelligence. He took, uh, Nazi Germany, they had two distinct secret programs, um, in, in, in Germany. They had the one that was creating, um, the bell that was located in Poland and they had caves and they were, you know, really working hard to, to create this wonder weapon, the wonder weapon. And then you have the group that was in Antarctic that was creating more of the flying saucers, UFOs kind of things. So he, they had access to some of this information that was again given to the Douglas Aircraft Company and other uh, aerospace uh, companies in order to, you know, figure out what all this was about. The, in the end, we had the Solar Warden program that became operational under President Reagan. And what was operational, he says, is eight space carrier battle groups, but they don't define what that means, except that the uh, some of these spacecrafts were a kilometer long, and they worked on anti-gravity. Um, so we get this solar warden that is basically a, a navy kind of uh, operation, okay, and. What Good said is that there's now up to 10 breakaway civilizations indigenous to Earth. He says that there's three major space, secret space programs. One is the large corporate entity, okay, and the other two are multinational covert space programs, similar to NATO. There is five to seven secret space programs belonging to earlier breakaway civilizations on Earth, including Nazi Germany, and another dating back as far as 500,000 years ago. Now, when he's talking about that, he seems to be referring to, uh, and this was another mind-bender to me, that, that, that all these supposed civilizations that are living inside the Earth that even though they were inside the earth, they also had um, the capability of of space travel. 
So that's another story, and nobody to me is real clear on what that's all about, except that they're players in this game. Okay, so we got these different space programs, and they're independent of any secret Earth governments. You know, there's there's, <laughs> there's all these government things happening too, but um, they're all all of the groups are allied in some way or another with different out-of-towners, okay? Um, and they have, like, UN-type federations with both human and human-like ETs and non-human ETs. And they all have different agendas. Uh, Good says that there's sort of a shadow civil war going on amongst these secret space programs and their off-world allies to end control of the secret Earth governments using the Babylonian money magic slave system to control Earth humanity. Okay, now... We know right now that that slave system, the Babylonian slave system, is coming apart. And if we have time, we'll, we'll talk about what Fulford said this week. But that's falling apart in and of itself. So whatever is happening, that, that seems to be happening. That's part of it. Now then Good talks about that there's up to a hundred spherical ships that have come in, and that's the sphere alliance that, um, Terran also talks about. Um what what got really interesting was in the last week, like what was the date? It was June fifteenth. Okay. Um apparently there had been for quite a long time, over six six months, okay, uh members of the Cabal slash Illuminati slash whatever you want to call them, um, over the last six months had fled and they were going to um, South America and Antarctica, and we know that there's other places that they have fled to, but there does seem to be this fleeing of the the family, uh, you know. And um, the reason that this may be happening is not so much that everything is falling apart from the concept of the matrix, it's that Apparently, there is a huge solar storm that's predicted to hit Earth. It's the so-called solar kill shot, and it was predicted by the remote viewer Ed Dames. Okay, and I tried to look him up, but I kind of ran out of time. Um, He claims that it was imminent, and this was from March 21st of this year. All right, now, if there is a, first off, in my opinion, you can't predict the future. You can only create the future. So in in my reality, this is not going to happen, okay? We're not going to get the solar kill shot. Um, first off, if it starts up, the, the in my opinion, there is a, a sphere alliance there that um, would protect us from it. I'm not at all concerned about that. But in the old Matrix and the old storyline, the Nazi storyline, um, maybe they can't even stop something that would be as big as the solar kill shot. So let them worry about that. I'm not going to worry about that personally. Um, now, what happened was that on the 15th, apparently, okay, in Antarctica, now there was they, they, they were seeing uh, these spheres, these big spheres that were silver and sort of had portholes all around them. And they were calling them, what the heck were they called? Cosmospheres. All right. Now they claimed that these huge spherical craft that were in geostationary orbit above the continent of Antarctica 
being huge, metallic, shiny, and one row of portholes going around the sphere. One speculated that this were craft were from Russian origin because they, they, they are similar to cosmospheres allegedly developed by the Soviets. And that these particular, apparently the Soviets had these cosmospheres that allowed them a certain control over a certain segment of the space, like near space. Um, and that this sounds like the same thing. And that, um, they were probably watching what was happening in the Antarctic area because they were there for six weeks just sort of sitting there. Okay. So now on the 15th of June, there was a six large cruisers. Now these were teardrop, teardrop shaped. Okay. We're in the process of leaving the atmosphere after breaking the surface of the ocean near the coast of Antarctica. Dozens of unknown Chevron craft, and I'm not exactly sure what a Chevron craft is, swarmed these cruisers and attacked the leading two craft, causing massive and shocking damage. The cruisers broke off their attempts to leave orbit, returning to below the surface of the ocean where they came from. Remember, this is all around Antarctica. Antarctica. Good has provided an illustration of the battle that took place. He told me that the teardrop-shaped cruisers belonged to the syndicated group who were aligned with the Dark Fleet. Okay, so the teardrop, the six cruisers that came out, are aligned with the Dark Fleet, uh, which is a space program first established in Antarctica by Nazi Germany and the German secret societies, which later allied itself with the U.S. military-industrial complex. And, in fact, um, that happened back in February of 1960 when President Eisenhower uh, flew down and talked to Argentinian president and made this agreement that the U.S. military complex would be firmly under the control of the Fourth Reich. Uh, that led to the emergence of the interplanetary corporate conglomerate, the ICC, which is now in charge of the Nazi bases in Antarctica. So that's what was, though that was the group that was controlling these cruisers, these teardrop shaped. All right. They then went on to say that, um, the SSP, the Space, Secret Space Alliance, okay, were not sure who the Chevron shaped spacecraft belonged to. But the speculation was that they were linked to the Earth Alliance, a consortium of white hats from various national militaries working closely with the BRIC nations. I found that fascinating. Fascinating. Now, the, the, um, there's something called the Muhammad Accords where the extraterrestrials and inner-Earth civilization um, openly, before these accords, which happened back at the time of uh, Muhammad, um, they openly interacted with surface humanity, but it was decided in order for sur surface humanity to evolve, open contact would end, and that extra extraterrestrials and inner-Earth civilizations would no longer openly intervene in human affairs. So... There you have what I, I kind of know. Um, and then, you know, it was like I, what I read to the, at the beginning that, um, you know, 
the, that the incoming energies are ramping up the levels of the sun and the solar system. We've talked about this many times. It's the, it's the concept of the, um, photon belt and that the black sun in the middle of the galaxy is just feeding that energy towards us. It's feeding everything else. And that we have to become more service to others. You know, we have to get our consciousness so that we can imagine these things. And the more we attack the veil of forgettingness, the more we have, you know, reality sci-fi programs where we just talk about things that could be happening, the more we're really giving voice to thoughts that are already there. And that, to me, is why these Internet programs are so important doesn't matter how many people are listening. It matters that we get together and we really kind of feed a new thought process into the collective consciousness. Uh, and that if we keep doing this, we're going to see more and more of the veil fall. And when the veil falls, and it's going to fall quickly, it's just going to be like a, a resonation. You know, everybody's going to just go, oh, my God, you know, everybody's going to wake up. At that moment, then we are in a position of, let's say, equality to the sphere alliance and anybody else that might want to, you know, talk to humanity in a way that is much more profound than people who are kept in the dark and are running around in the Star Trek universe not knowing that the vast majority of humanity had been subjugated in a matrix of lies and deceit to keep them from evolving into what what Walt once said, the Q continuum. And, and that's the failure of the SSP that, that I said to you before in another show. The failure of the SSP is that they fully supported this illusion of separation, the experiment of separation, whatever you want to call it, that's been revoked. They thought they could take off and make a perfect civilization by just choosing the most perfect specimens of humanity. So, right off the bat, their experiment begins with more separation. Let's get all the dumb, stupid people to stay back on Earth, and we'll get all the college graduates, all the PhDs, all the masters, all the people with the biggest brains, and we'll have the most amazing, fantastic civilization. Now, it turns out that they're stuck. They're, they're suffering from inbreeding. They're, they're suffering from, you know, not enough, uh, genetic, uh, variety. And it was doomed to fail because you have to consider the totality of the humanity. You can't just take this little bit and make it work. You have, you, you t- took off and you left behind the rest of what makes you human. Therefore, you were doomed to fail. That there are more more energy put into supporting the illusion of separation as opposed to saying, okay, we have all this technology, let's share it with everybody so everybody benefits from this. And No, no, I'm going to benefit. My group is better than your group. I have all of my members are all PhDs. All of your members are just, you know, masters and associates and whatnot, and it's not working. Well, you know, people wonder why they would um, possibly want to create an environment where there's only 500 million people on the face of the planet. If you look at what the 
what Wilcox, David Wilcox is saying concerning the SSP. What's out there is, in fact, the Star Trek universe. Everything that we ever saw on Star Trek is just really out there now. And one of the keys to what is happening is the fact that Earth is very close to a prime vortex that allows you to go somewhere very far, very fast. And there's others in the universe, but this this just happens to be in our neck of the universe, our neck of the galaxy. Well, probably universe. But what happens is that this vortex apparently pulses, and so it's opened only at a certain time, and then it closes again. So people have to wait like you'd wait for a train. And as they're waiting, they're waiting in the solar system that's closest to this vortex, which happens to be our solar system. So the solar system is prime real estate, and there is a tremendous amount of activity that is continually ongoing out there. So we're kind of like this this planet that's sitting there. I mean, I can't even imagine why they are ignoring us. You know, I mean, it's like, dudes, don't you realize that this planet is about to have a a massive increase in in everything? You shouldn't be surprised because look at the reptilians. They only see what they see. Nothing else fits in their reality. Their reality is what it is, and they they cannot conceive of something different. They cannot expand their consciousness to the point of saying, what if the universe is bigger than when I think? Whatever they think, whatever they believe, that's it. They don't need to make allowances for anybody else or anything else because they are the most superior species. And they're being, they're being shown the door. Well, see, what I, what I, and I agree with you totally because it's almost like they're in a storyline that yes, it's a great storyline. You're living in the Star Trek universe, but they have not understood the full implications of the Garden of Eden, <laughs> of source, of spirit, of love, of joy. You know, it's almost like I'm beginning to see all of them as, you know, kind of like, I won't say pathetic, but sad little creatures that don't see the big picture. And when we were talking and Dolly, uh, Dave came in, and I asked Dave about the uh, the Sphere Alliance, and he and he said that it, yes, it's there, but it's it, the depiction of it is not exactly accurate. And I totally understood that because I think that the Sphere Alliance is showing a face to certain human beings because it's the only way that the human being would understand it but that it may be something much different than what we right now can see. So did they give any clarification? No. No. Did you ask? No. No, because I'm willing to deal with what we've got right now. If we just deal with with what seems to be in front of us, is that a group of people from someplace... (laughs) Is here because if I wasn't so sure that Gaia wasn't responsible for them being here, I would be nervous. 
I don't like out-of-towners telling me anything. But Gaia said that she called them in. Because it was the only, the only way, um, and it may be that she called, they, and it wasn't just she, it was all the, the, uh, creative consciousnesses of the planets in the solar system. It was a group effort, and probably others. But it was definitely at a level above the 3D, so to speak. <clears throat> all the men. And that's why I'm suspicious. Like, it's not gonna surprise me if instead of seeing uh, spaceships, I see angels. That's not going to surprise me. Well, that's that's the thing that, that I was asking Tolik when, you know, he told that story that he was taken back in time three times to that particular time to see his reaction because they wanted to understand, you know, this feeling that humans get of loss, you know, when somebody dies. And that's why I ask him, you know, uh, have they know that does their consciousness or their technology allow them to perceive the veil of forgetting? Because that's why we act that way. With the veil of forgetting in place, we believe that we are these bodies. We forget that we are infinite and mortal beings, and this is just a suit, a vehicle that we are inhabiting. Are they not aware of this? Because you could re- you you know eliminate the veil and you don't have to cry when somebody dies you know you could bury the body and still have a conversation with them and they'll talk with you before they they go on their journey and you don't have to cry because you know okay yeah my brother is going over there he's gonna go to the he's gonna be working on this other planet now because he wants to learn this other stuff and it's just saying goodbye to your family as they go on on vacation or something or a different journey. But with the veil in place, everybody is still in this mass hypnosis that, yes, I am this body. Yes, I am male. Yes, I am female. Yes, and all these programs that go with it. Oh, my family lineage is amazing. I have the best pedigree and blah, blah, blah. You could have the best pedigree in the world, but you're not the body. So what is that? What value does that have for you? Well, what what I think Taryn is indicating is that and that's why I'm so convinced that it's humanity has to has to drop the veil. That we have to all of a sudden wake up and go, oh, wow. Because, yes, you're absolutely correct. All of these ETs, out-of-towners that we've been dealing with are just as far from understanding source and, well, I think they're much farther away from what we know. We've been put into a unique place in space. It's allowing us to kind of like see it. We're waking up. We're seeing it. It's changing. People, people keep talking about, you know, remembering past lives, remembering this, remembering that. It's because it's already falling. It's falling in slow motion, but it's falling. Yeah. I think it would be traumatic if it happened all in a blink of an eye for, because it's, it's going to impact human psychology. We're, we're still tied. So the psychology of the low soul, where we interpret everything on the basis of this physical identity. Yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with that. So, because you know, I, I feel very strongly that that this can happen very quickly because it's one thing if you drop the veil and you see horror. This is dropping the veil and saying you're home. We know this already. This is what we're going back home is all. Well, the so, most valuable thing is remembering who you truly are. 
that's the most valuable thing you can get out of it. Forget knowledge, you know, for the moment. Just the, the very fact of remembering who you are and where you came from, it, it doesn't matter, you know, in the sense of, okay, which is your soul lineage family, you know, or what planetary system you came from or whatever it was, but just to be, to remember fully, consciously who you truly are, then you're not afraid to use your power and you come into your power fully. But, you know, people go through life, you know, question after question after question because they're seeking that. I mean, you've heard it, you know, the, the old uh, cliche, the person, oh, they went to India, they were looking for themselves, or they're going to explore a different career, or they're going to, they're going to reinvent themselves. Why? Because we don't remember who we are. We're still in this limbo. <laughs> and then as soon as that thing collapses, then, oh, okay, this is who I am. I don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, like when Colleen, wanted to know about what she's doing with her life. And the guy says she's doing exactly what she came to do. And and they gave me all the information to back up what they were saying. So it would be a waste of time for her to go out and discover herself. She's already doing what she's supposed to be doing. Now, let me <laughs> ask you something, because in your shamanic journeys, when you first started out, you were contacting guides that were... Other than extraterrestrials, but now you've been contacting guides that are extraterrestrial, correct? Yes. What has been happening for a while now? Yeah. What What's your take on these extraterrestrials? Do they Do you feel like they are totally connected to source and spirit, and that they can remember everything, and that's why they're perfect guides, or do you believe that they are? messengers of a higher order sent to give certain uh, technologies and certain understandings, but that they could also be, you know, sort of in the dark? Well, so far, the ones that I've met, they are the guides of the client that I'm journeying for. And they all have the same explanation, is that they are part of the civilizations that came in answer to Gaia's call for help. So they came. And their people, you know, took physical embodiment, and it's their job to guide their people. So that's why there there are so many ships in orbit around the planet. And some guides are in in orbit in ships; others are on the in the inner Earth. And it's interesting that I don't know why. How does that happen? If that's an agreement between them and Gaia, but they're inhabiting the inner Earth, and yet they're not from here. So, if there's one thing I've learned from shamanic journeys, don't try to compartmentalize anything at all. There is no set rules. <laughs> because the inner earth civilizations, they have space travel. So you could find them on a ship, and it turns out that they're not from another planetary system, they're from right here. And then you find people in the inner earth, and it turns out that they're not even from here. So, uh I just expect the unexpected. But the one thing remains consistent, that they are working uh, with their human charges, guiding them, helping the best they can, uh, because they're here in response to Gaia's uh, call for help. But they all have, you know, they fall with the same trap, the veil of forgetting, and it's it's difficult to help them because they they forget who they are, difficult to guide them, 
one gentleman, uh, he wanted, he, for several centuries, he was a guide to other people. And he started getting kind of impatient because always the same questions, always the same problems. It's like he, he, he was wondering, you know, why can't the people get it? So another guy had explained to him, well, it's the way the system works. They go into this forgetfulness and all they, all they have available to them is the program of the system. And the system is not designed to benefit you. It's designed to benefit the system. Little do they know that they have the power to change that by withdrawing their energy from the system. So what this gentleman wanted to do was incarnate so that he could carry out and, and fulfill this and explain to others how you change the reality by pulling your energy away from the so-called reality and using the law of attraction to attract the reality that you want. Uh, but he forgot. Totally forgot. So one of the things I ask, and, and they're not even letting me ask because they're answering the question before I ask it. I always ask the people's guides, okay, then if, if you don't ask, they can't do it. So I said, since I'm journeying for the client, I am asking in his name or her name, from this moment on, start managing all their synchronicities so that they'll get like a trail of crumbs in the forest they'll have a notion of which way they should go. Because that's what the, a very frequent question. What should I be doing? Where should I be going? You know, why, why even bother? Why am I here? And the guides can do that. So I tell, I tell the people when I write the report, pay attention to absolutely everything around you. Colors, sound, music, uh, buildings, numbers on signs, on displays. Because he uh, smells, because your guides will use every element of your environment to point the way. They'll give you clues, and if you're paying attention and you're awake, you'll see them, and they'll point the way that you should go for your highest benefit. And people write back after a while, and they, yeah, you know, they start getting used to seeing things, and some people see this particular number consistently, or some some person sees a specific color consistently and that points the way to them but they can't the guys can't do that unless you request it because their job is to support you and your your free will decisions not interfere the one time they they most definitely do interfere is when you're at moments of great peril they won't let you you know get killed just because it was your you know decision uh, to go this way and there's a car coming and it's going to kill you unless it's an exit point. That's one of the things uh, before people incarnate. Since they don't know how their life is going to play out, they might change their minds. They will establish exit points, something like an illness or an accident, a point at which you can exit the the physical expression. And many times they change their mind. So the point comes and goes and you didn't use it. So that could be, that's a situation where they won't interfere. It's your choice that you're going to leave now. And that's what I said to you uh, before. This is sometimes some people, um, especially very savvy souls, they leave before they die. 
and you you can see them on the street and talk to them and say hello and they'll say oh yeah I'm heading on my way to buy some groceries but the high soul isn't there and the, you can always tell with a, with a very simple system just look into their eyes that's what I said I asked uh, this question to Dolly when she had her issue what happened with Stan and she said yes when I looked into her eyes he wasn't there it was some other entity and that's how you can tell when somebody something's going to happen. Either the person's going to fall ill, or they're going to be in a car crash or something. The high soul decided to leave, so they don't they don't need to experience that trauma over and over again. So they do that. They leave before they die. So just to make sure, they put these exit points out. So if they're not liking life, they can leave. Yes, my my father did that. I mean, he used one of his excess points. Huh. He so, woke, so, because he was so, you know, disenchanted with life as a whole. Don't blame him. Yeah, That's I what, know. uh, did you ever, I don't know if you ever had a chance to, um, one of Anelia's book before she wrote the interview with a psychic assassin was the interview with an alien. And uh, in one of her exchanges, because she would meet this woman, like in a coffee shop, and Anelia asked permission to record the conversation so she would have better recall when writing stuff down. And in one of the exchanges, the woman said something very significant. She says, people here are so used to not getting what they want, you know, that they lose, you know, they lose the that drive, the the desire to manifest what you want because they're, they're used, the system is not set up to benefit anybody, just the system. So people are used to not getting what they want. And that was so true and so horrible at the same time. We grow up and we get programmed to being used to not getting what we want. When the opposite is true, it's a universe of abundance that just loves to give you and just loves to fulfill your desires. But, you know, we get programmed the other way. Well, somebody last night on a television program, actually it was, uh, the woman that plays Cagney in Cagney and Lacey. Mm. Um, it was, uh, she was in, in jail and Roselle, Roselli, Roselli, um, was a cop that was undercover. And then when it all came unraveled and she found out she was a cop and the cop actually got her out of jail, she comes and visits her and she said, I knew you didn't belong there. And Roselia said, well, why, why are you saying that? And she said, because you, of the look in your eye. And she said, what look? And she said, hope. You had hope in your eyes. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's maybe the key is that if you, if, if you just hope there's another story, you know, one that comes out to be a really good story for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, then you can you can continue, but if you don't have any hope, if you don't, you know, just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, well, that's exactly that's exactly what they want. Because when you're doing when you're doing that, you have the two choices, right? To have the hope and a better story, or to give up and have no hope, right? When you're doing that action of giving up and having no hope, that's what you're doing. You're giving your energy and and your belief. To the system, the system one. And just keep, and you're, you're keeping, your surrender is keeping the machine running. 
That's the fuel that it needs to keep running. That you believe there's nothing else. That you believe it's undefeatable. That you believe that there's no other story. That's it. That's the fuel that keeps the machine running. It's all thought. All thought warfare. Because mm-hmm. we got to put out enough thought to make the collective wake up. I think they're already waking up. Um, I keep... keep I, the last few hours, I've, I've been getting this image of uh, being up above Earth and looking down. But, I mean, Earth's way away. And... There's all these versions of it, you know, and they're all kind of like vibrating, like what story's going to come out? What story's going to come out? And when they get the right frequency, you know, the right frequency, then it's going to be like not just Earth, not just humanity is going to have the veil drop, but the Draconians, the Palladians, the Andromedans, all of them. You know, maybe that's why some of these these people that are trying to the like the Anunnaki, the the Anunnaki have got a, a, a society that's based on a leadership level and then a slave sort of level, and the slaves are waking up. Why? Because they're tied to humanity. We have their DNA. They have ours. And so as we wake up and we got 22 different star families DNA in us, DNA is a cosmic internet. Yeah, it's a living library. You have to go. That's one they, what they showed me in one shamanic journey. It, it didn't look like, you know, that when you look at DNA on the other from the other side, <laughs> not from this side. Uh, it was almost like looking at a, a sea urchin where you see this ball covered in spikes, but the spikes were actually like like uh, like pearls on a necklace. On each pearl, you know, it's a, it's a bundle of information. So what they were showing me is that, you know, spirit is formless, dimensionless. So every time spirit wants to create something, it has to go through this. The DNA is like a portal. So it wants to create a tree. It goes and it flows through the right track. Boom, you have a tree. You have to, you want to create a rock. You go through this. So that's, it's a living library for everything that can and will exist. Oh, I like that image. That's uh, that's how things manifest because spirit is formless, dimensionless, no size, no weight, nothing. It's just pure beingness, but it's not bound by any law of beingness. You go through the DNA to make stuff. Fascinating, as they say. So we're getting to the end of the show. Is there anything that you'd like to impart there, Mr. Walt? Oh no, I just I just ask everyone listening to us. Please don't give up and just focus on the reality that you want to enjoy. I don't care what it looks like. Just focus on not so much on thought and form. It's supposed to look like this and no. Just focus on what it feels like to be sitting and living and enjoying the reality that you want. It doesn't matter the form, their shape, where it is, what people are around you what conditions, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is you focus on that feeling because that feeling is what makes things manifest. Thought is good for giving form to things, but feeling is the fuel and the substance that makes it come about. That's what the law of attraction responds to, your feeling. 
And just close your eyes and, you know, what would it feel like if, okay, I don't have to pay taxes anymore. What would it feel like to live in my perfect reality? What would it feel like not to have to have a, go to a job that doesn't benefit me in any way other than paying the bills? So just focus on what it feels and that the law of attraction is going to respond to your feeling and that's how your, your perfect reality is going to come rushing at you because the universe is saying, Oh, look, Bill is feeling, feeling the, the enthusiasm, the euphoria of living his perfect reality. We have to fill in that gap. And, and, and that's, that's all it is. You know, forget logistics. We, we, we get very crazy with details. Oh, but if I want this house, I have to go here and I have to go there and I have to talk to this guy. Forget the details. Focus on what it is that you want and how it would feel to have it. And the details, the universe, the universe takes care of the details, not you. Okay, you gotta stop talking. We're at the end of the show. Okay. Um. <laughs> hey, good night, Gracie. <laughs> uh, t- uh, Saturday, Taryn's gonna be back, the, uh, American Kapuki, and we will just have a wonderful discussion, no matter what we talk about, because that's just the way we do it on Saturday. So it starts, uh, at four o'clock, and it goes through eight o'clock. Um, and we hope you all be there. Colleen, thank you, thank you, thank you again so much, so much, so much. Everybody out there, we'll see you next week. Be safe and, um, try to make that Saturday. Make it something special. You know, just go there and, and just spend a little time of your energy to just, you know, listen to what this man's saying. Cause I heard a round table the other night and those men were gloomy. And Taryn <laughs> is not gloomy. He is full of hope. And that's what we need to instill in ourselves and everybody around us. So we're all spewing doom and gloom. <laughs> hope. We're going to go for hope. <laughs> hope and love and joy and all the good things in life. Thank you very much. We're out of here. Be safe. See you next week. Teaching. Listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a guide.